This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. The Big Interview with Offscript. We caught up with the mother and daughter duo behind Valkyrie Racing. Yeah. I knew nothing about this until they walked into the studio, until about 20 minutes before they walked into the studio, <laughs> because they are a race car team that does what they call, and I put this in air quotes, extreme vintage rally racing, which was something I didn't know existed. So I put the question to them. And Renee, who is the driver of this team, says they created the concept. It yep. wasn't really a thing. They had this goal to take a classic car and race it on every continent to raise awareness and also to raise funds for human trafficking. Yeah, and they managed to get across that journey with their Project 356 World Rally Tour. Um, They managed to get 17,000 miles around the world. In a 1956 Porsche 356A, now this car, we we touched on it on Friday, this car is a beautiful looking car. It's not like the classic 1980s Porsches, which have influenced what the Porsches look like now. This is more like it's almost like a VW Beetle, but a bit more of a, a classy version than the Beetle. It's that kind of shape. Rear engine, um, a difficult car to drive, so a difficult one to, to choose to work, drive around the world in these extreme rallies, as they talk about it. They raced the world's most dangerous and competitive rallies. They did six rallies in six continents and then completed the seventh of Antarctica on their own since there was absolutely no race there. In fact, nobody would be stupid enough to go there in a car. Yeah, I mean, you were saying how beautiful the car is. As we've mentioned, they were in town for the Icons of Porsche Festival at the Design District this weekend. Hopefully some of you did manage to make it down there. Um, But the classic car is stunning. It's got the silver exterior, really cool graphics on it as well. It's got a really cool look. It's definitely a sight to behold. And they've had to modify it for all of the different terrains they've been in, including Antarctica. So they currently got it modified with sleds at the front wheels and tracks in the back, which we'll hear a little bit more about. But let's get to our conversation with Renee Brinkerhoff, who's the driver and founder of Valkyrie Racing, and her daughter, Christina Brinkerhoff, who handles operations and media. So you, Raj, asked Renee to talk us a little bit through her journey and how she started racing a classic Porsche around the world. The car originally was being raced by me in uh, Mexico in a historic event started in 1950, the La Carrera Panamericana. It's considered the most dangerous uh, tarmac rally race in the world. And 30% of the cars don't finish. My first morning of my first race in that event, someone died. You know, it's a 30% attrition. Very dangerous event. Can I break in just to ask, why is it so dangerous? Yeah. Accidents. If you're there to compete, you're going flat out on roads with sheer cliffs, drop-offs, no guardrails, very narrow roads. We're racing in whatever the conditions are. Fog, rain, um, it doesn't matter. You're there to race. You're participating. Unless you choose to put your car on a trailer, you're there to compete in whatever conditions are there. Right. And so take us from there. You said that first day somebody had died. What was going through your mind the moment you heard that? Because this was your very first race, right? Yes, it was. What was going through my mind? What in the world am I doing here? That's <laughs> yeah. what was going through my mind. Mid-50s, decided to do this, um, to to complete something I'd been saying to myself. One day I'm going to race a car. And uh, it was a life-changing experience. I found out all these things about myself, my strengths, my weaknesses, uh, pushing through barriers of fear. And then we did that in Mexico and were successful. We were in the podium every year. We were beating cars with much bigger horsepower because of the team 
elements said how can we use this car literally as a vehicle to affect change and created the Project 356 World Rally Tour and that was to put the car in the most extreme events in the world that we could find to raise awareness and how do you do that nowadays with so much happening we're just blasted with amazing things people are doing right you have to be outside the box you have to do something extreme so we went back to Mexico for North America we won our class then uh, in the La Carrera and then we went to target Tasmania in Australia there were 300 cars that participated and uh, we were the only 356 in the, that event that year uh, the only woman driver out of 300 cars there there again try to do things that will say what are you doing and why are you here right so you can tell them the reason why and then from there we went to Peru and did the Camino Stalinka. And that event is half tarmac and half gravel. And I thought the roads in Mexico were treacherous. Uh, we were up to 16,000 feet on little tiny narrow gravel roads where they've just barely cut them out of the side of a this sheer mountainside. And uh, those are incredible drivers. Some of the best drivers I've ever seen in the world are in Peru in that event. It's a modern event, only modern cars. And we were the first time any old car, any classic car ever participated and the first time any any Porsche of any kind had ever participated. So you were asking about the reaction of the car. People loved the car. You could hear them calling. They say porch. That's how they say Porsche or Porsche. Porch. And you could hear them calling as you were coming into the town or the village or whatever. Porch. Porch. (laughs) And they'd make banners and drawings and everything of the car because it was incredible for them to see it and to see an old car. And then to see a woman driving and all these things they'd never seen before. So there was immense enthusiasm for that. And then from there... I believe we went to the Peking to Paris. Is that right, mm-hmm. Christina? Yeah. Yeah, Peking to Paris. And uh, that year we were the only 356 that participated. Um, and again, people, they just, they, it's 100 old cars. People just love seeing those old automobiles being driven. Mm-hmm. We uh, should say the Peking to Paris is from Beijing to Paris, 36 days, 13 countries. Thank you. And yeah. about 9,000 miles. So oh. it was a, it's a true endurance they call it the Everest of endurance rallies. Yeah, that's so right. Yeah, that was incredible. And were you saying that's just two continents, which actually, when you break down those numbers, it's mad to think that's just over two continents. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, a lot of miles, a lot of days, yeah. <laughs> a lot of time behind the wheel. I want to ask you, you mentioned that you were in your mid-50s when you ended up being a race car driver. I think it's fair to say that's probably an unconventional route to race car driving, probably from what most people's conceptions are. You didn't seem to have a history really of it, but you had an idea in your head. Walk us through that. When did the idea start? How long was it running in your head? And what made you finally decide to act on it? I didn't come from a car background. I didn't come from a racing background or have any kind of knowledge of motorsports at all. And until even recently, I'd never even watched racing on television, except for now I'm hooked on this Formula One. Drive you know, to survive. Drive to survive thing. It's <laughs> incredible, right? Um, and it was really a one-liner that I'd been telling myself for decades without even realizing that I'd been saying it. It was a very subconscious thing, and it's one day I'm going to race a car. And it was in my mid-50s that I heard that in my head, realized I'd been saying and said, oh, great. 
now I've got to go do it. Did mm-hmm. I want to? No. It was really it started as a have to, and now it's a want to. But it was really just fulfilling whatever that was, whatever that was in myself of the reason of the why of saying that. Yeah. I had to go find that out, and that's why I did it. Why did you pick the Porsche? If you were a complete novice, and if you, you know you, it, that's a challenge in itself, is, is joining these rallies. But you could have picked a you know modern car with a modern engine, modern setup, everything. Just briefly, why why the that Porsche in particular? It's a beautiful looking car. Maybe aesthetically you thought, oh, that's the one. But actually, you've made the challenge even harder for yourself. <laughs> I did yes. make it harder. <laughs> yeah. Much harder. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. because driving that car in particular takes a lot more skill set as a driver, yeah. right, with that rear-weighted um, back engine. Um, it was really something I said, okay, i got to go do this. I don't know about racing, but I did. My husband had a cousin who raced an old Corvette. He said, come over. I've got this new car I'm going to restore. It was sitting in his driveway outside in the gravel area outside of his house. And it was really love at first sight. Of course. I said, when I saw that, I thought, well, I know, I don't know about racing, but I know he does that kind of racing. So maybe that's what I'll do which is classic cars, right? And then I saw that car, and I thought, oh, my gosh. And then I got a ride in it, and it reminded me of my souped-up VW Bug that I drove in high school. Right, right, right. Sounded the same, felt the same, <laughs> and it so harkened to these fabulous old memories, right? Yeah. And I said, I've just kept it simple. I'll just, I'll just drive this car. Renee has set that up beautifully. That's Renee Brinkerhoff, the founder and driver at Valkyrie Racing, telling us how she got into racing in her mid-50s. I did ask Renee... Once she finally gave into that voice and listened to it and fulfilled, you know, exactly what it was telling her to do, was there something to that? And she said, yeah, it was definitely there was something of a calling to that, that there was meaning in that voice that she had been hearing this whole time. So let that be a message, I suppose, to all of us. So many of us don't answer that call. So, yeah, let that be a message. And it has been really inspirational to hear about how they've taken on the first six continents Mm -hmm. in terms of doing some of the most extreme rallies around the world in that classic Porsche. But they thought, okay, well, we've done six. We've somehow now got to cover all seven. But there's no rally in Antarctica, Raj. No. Absolutely no infrastructure for it, no support, nothing. Yeah, it's kind of a crazy thing to do. So how do they go about this pretty bonkers mission to get a classic (laughs) 50s Porsche racing Antarctica? So if you're going to Antarctica, like you said, there is no racing. So it had to be, and everything we'd done to that point had been a challenge. Like, what's the biggest challenge in every continent we can put the car through? So it's okay, we're going to be in Antarctica. No, we're not going to be on the coast. We're going to be in the interior where there's nothing. There is no fly. There's no bird that flies over. There's no life except for if you get dropped in then you, as a human, right, to be yeah. there. And uh, so what? what is that challenge going to be? And it was to do 356 miles to commemorate the car in Antarctica, in that frozen interior on the blue ice and um, this, it's just Struji and all those kinds of things. So, And how was that when you were as far in as you as you'd got before, you, you know, when you'd gone past halfway? What's going through your mind in that just that vast expanse of of just ice and it's just you in the mm-hmm. car and the, you, the team as well. What's going through your mind? Christina, you should tell. What, oh, gosh. <laughs> I mean, I think the closest way to describe Antarctica, it felt like being on the moon. It was oh, wow. the most foreign, isolated place I think we'll ever go. To, and Mongolia was incredibly interesting. And, and there's some sort of similarity in that because it was so remote. But Antarctica is a world unto itself, right? And so it's the size of the U.S. and a third of Canada, and it's just all ice and all snow. And there's only penguins on the coast. So it was – I was filming 
in a separate car, and we were in a wideout for most of the time. And so, so the Porsche was engineered for about, probably took two years by Kieran Bradley, who's a senior chassis engineer at Lotus, and he has the world record for the fastest trip to the South Pole in a vehicle. Uh, so she had a crevasse bar and was fully equipped to go into this terrain, but she, would, she was just a speck on the ice. And so she would disappear, and we couldn't get each other on radios. And it was an extreme experience. I mean, it's sort of words sort of fail. And what are some of the challenges that you have to think of in terms of the terrain? Boy, there, I think that whole environment, because of the temperatures and the winds and... Um, just uh, you know that you don't really have any support and you're out there and it's extreme in that in that sense as well in those elements there's the crevasses what Christina talked about so yes there's areas that they've done uh, radar penetrating but the ice is constantly moving even as you're there it's moving so what was there yesterday or a year ago or two years ago when they used those um, instruments to find the crevasses. It's all changed. It's all moved. So it's, in a sense, it's guesswork. We know in this area this is um, a safe zone, but nothing is ever safe. So, for instance, when we were in Punta Arenas before we flew into Antarctica, Jason de Carteret, who was with Kieran for this world record to the South Pole in a motor vehicle, he was my navigator, and he's been to the poles, both poles, a total of maybe 50 or 60 times. He had us write what he called our death letters. So before we flew into Antarctica, he said, I, I'm just imploring each of you to write a letter to those that you love wow. and to write each of them a separate letter knowing you may not come home. This is not a joke. I'm telling you seriously. So that is the mindset before you go there. And because of all the uncertainty of the environment. So there's you know areas that you go in and you think, okay, they say don't deviate more than a few meters left or right from this track. Those are the unknowns and those are those, those are the kinds of um, things that you're dealing with. And then, of course, the weather can come in just like that. Mm. And now what? And our comms weren't working. So you just feel very isolated and exposed, but at the same time, very alive. And mm. it's very in invigorating and enlivening in your whole being. I was going to ask that, that psychological element, but you've kind of touched on it there. But at any point, does stop cross your mind? Does We can, we can stop this. Somebody can come and pick us up. <laughs> no. 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 You've come that far? Yeah. No, you have to finish. Wow. I mean... That car, so it was engineered in incredibly, but there were some bolts that hold the skis on that were not of uh, the right metallurgy. And so the skis broke a few times. And there was, I think, almost every day we didn't know if we were going to get the mileage because the whole goal was to get 356 miles. We had a we have a sponsor, PXG, that funded the whole expedition. And anyway, to honor their investment in all of our the six continents behind it was like, well, we have to. There was no way we weren't going to get that. But wow. a few days we thought the engine was terminal and we'd wake up and get back out there and try to go get some more miles. How long does 356 miles take in terms of time when you're on the snow? Well, when you wouldn't think it would take very long, would you? <laughs> no, but? <laughs> well, it took us all day, every day for five days. Really? <laughs> really? Yeah. And, and that was a lot of work, like, because the car was freezing up. Mm. The, you'd open up the, the, air, the air filters, and they're just packed with ice. 
and the having to change out carburetors out there, and you can't take your gloves off. Our mechanic is having to take his gloves off because of the concerns of oh, frost, wow. frostbite and everything. So we had a lot of mechanical issue, issues in addition to this bolt that kept shearing off on <laughs> first the right side, then the left side, then the right side, which we just happened to have some extras of. Totally unplanned. Who would ever think we would have needed that bolt, right? And uh, uh, inside there was no heater because you're going to get too hot and you got to have all your clothes on, right? right? Oh. For those sub-zero temperatures, right? It was literally snowing inside the car. We had our wow. own weather environment where you could see snowflakes coming wow. down inside the vehicle. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, there were so many things like that that were just like, wow, we're, we're doing this. This is incredible. Um, and, you know, we've been talking about Antarctica, but you've done this whole journey across the world, essentially. In all of that experience, have you ever found yourself in a particularly dangerous situation? You don't, you know, gosh, I have a high tolerance for that type of thing. Mm-hmm. I think it's just probably a per- certain personality type. Um, most people wouldn't even do one of the races that we've done. You know, it's outside of their comfort zone. You know, in Mexico, when we're driving flat out, you know, and you've had some accidents, you think about it before you get in that car. You don't think about wh- when, when you're driving. Mm. You don't dare do that. But beforehand, you, think, you have to think about, is this worth my life? You have to make that decision. I don't know. I don't know. I just, for me, those are real life experiences that I, that I really like enjoy. I mean, for me, dial it up, make it riskier. I like, I like that stuff. <laughs> yeah. And Christina, you said you had. Oh, gosh. Moment. In every race, I've had my own insane adventure with different crews and different cars and certainly different drivers that I, I'm certain have almost taken our life a few times. But I was in Kenya on the last day of the East African safari race and I was in charge of our film team and we stopped it in a stage we cut in and I wanted a different shot so I took my camera and I walked about 35 minutes away from my film team and there was no service on my phone I had been tracking her car on the the satellite and I just knew she was coming next and so I was there probably 30 minutes and I looked to my left and my right and I thought gosh I'm, I'm in the bush so the car races by I get photographs Anyway, I look to my left, and I see a a female lion. Oh, wow. (laughs) And so that moment, which I sort of realized, I got sick to my stomach maybe five hours later. I had no idea how close. So I had GoPros running in the car, and later I pulled the footage where you see my mom and sister race by, and there's two female lions 100 yards away. So they had come towards me, and who knows what was going on, but I saw a female lion. And then I had to walk back by myself about 35 minutes to meet the team. And I'm going, oh, you know, I'm looking over my shoulder for about 35 minutes going, I hope I don't get eaten. When we're talking about dangerous moments, I was kind of thinking something involving the car, not necessarily a lion. Lost a wheel. Yeah. Not a lion. (laughs) Exactly. I did ask Christina if she froze, because what happens? You're in the bush, Mm. as she said. You're by yourself. You see a lion. Do you just kind of like freeze and suss out the situation? (laughs) She said, nope, just started walking straight back right away. Yeah. (laughs) Apparently that is what you do. We talked about the cause that they're doing this all for. They are supporting human trafficking initiatives 
initiatives and organizations around the world. I mean, in terms of how they decided on this, how random is this particular story? Mm. Renee was searching for a cause already because she'd started doing some of the rallies. She ends up on a tour bus, she tells us, next to an FBI agent, (laughs) strikes up a casual conversation, and he starts telling her about his work, which had to do with combating sex abuse of minors. Of course, disturbing contents, and Renee was very shocked, and she said, oh, but this can't be happening too much. And he actually told her how rampant an issue it is globally. So really just kind of opened her eyes to this horrific thing. She thought, oh, well, you know, it's an important cause, but how do we do this? Because you don't want to talk about something so terrible. People will just shut off their ears, she said. But she felt like she had to do something. So they decided to pursue it. And Christina, in fact, her daughter told us how they've managed to contribute so far. We've been able to raise over 700000 which 100% of what we raise goes through. And we support our, about what the organization's matured. And it's about six organizations we support around the world that are doing frontline work. And the recent estimates are 50 million people are currently trafficked. And you'll find different estimates, but it's 50 million. And 25% of that, and actually, no, I was reading this morning, the estimate's higher in terms of sex trafficking versus labor. They say 25 million of that is labor trafficking. And then if you break that down further, 25% of that is children that are sex trafficked. So it's just, um, it's our raison d'etre. It's our reason to to raise awareness and to give back to these kids. So we just funded construction at this home in um, in Andhra Pradesh to house 18 more girls. And I just spent five days with those girls. And that's one of the coolest experiences of my life is seeing their joy and being able to bring them, gosh, restoration, right? And so in each country, it's Peru, uh, Kenya, India, Thailand, Cambodia. Philippines. Um, yeah, a couple other organizations. Mm-hmm. But we've been able to make a pretty amazing difference and so that's that's been maybe the most special thing of this all it's an absolutely vital cause they've managed to raise seven hundred thousand dollars they were saying uh, right now the car that they're talking about that porsche 356 is touring the world and renee has told us she's looking for new challenges i assume she's going to drive on the moon one day you can follow renee you can follow christina at valkyrie that's v-a-l-k-y-r-i-e underscore racing on instagram the Offscript Podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Please do go ahead and click subscribe. You can also check out our other podcasts, Time Capsule or The Big Interview. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. 